Welcome to Freedom Files. I'm Ed Cox. I'm a Texas attorney and represent clients before the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles. The purpose of this podcast is to show you how much in common we all have with those who serve time in prison. Uh, Today, I am talking with Jake Johnson. Uh, Jake was born in Vermont, grew up in Florida, and moved to Texas in 2014. He is a talented contractor and lives with his wife, Erin, and their young son. Uh, Jake has successfully reintegrated into society and lives a great life with his family right now, and I'm excited to share our conversation with you. I hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, we're on. Uh, Jake, welcome to Freedom Files. Thanks a lot for agreeing to talk to me. I'm super excited to talk to you today. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing good. I'm waiting to get out in the yard and cut some trees up. Good. Well, I'm glad I could keep you from that for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> So I was looking back at a letter you wrote to Tate, and um, it's got down that you were born in St. Albans, Vermont. Is that right? So tell me about your time in Vermont. I know you moved when you were nine to Florida, but can you... uh, Tell me a little bit about what Vermont was like. Very cold. I mean, uh, my parents liked to party a lot, so I got a lot of time playing in the snow and all that. You know, sledding was a big thing. They'd all drag us kids out to the big old hills and we'd go sledding. Other than that, you know, walking to school in the snow, you know, that's all I remember is it being really cold. Yeah. And so, did you have any siblings, brothers or sisters? Oh, yeah, I got two younger sisters, but my my baby sister was just born when we had moved to Florida. So, I had my middle sister. She's four years younger than me. So, okay. Yeah, it was both of us. And then, of course, all my family's up there, like my cousins. And so, my, on my mom's side, she's got uh, five brothers and four sisters. So, I have uh, a lot of cousins. Yeah, big family. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what led your family to move from Vermont to Florida? My dad was uh, looking for work. So believe it or not, he actually came to Austin, Texas first, looking for work, and then didn't find nothing here. And then ended, we ended up in Florida, in uh, D-Land, Florida, and we've been there ever since, 40 years. He went down there and got in with a guy that was from Vermont that my family knew up there. Uh, what was it like when you moved? It was a shock. I had never seen a black person in my life, not to be mean or nothing, but, you know, up there, there was no colors, people or, you know, so I come down to Florida. I don't know. It was a big culture shock to me. So. I got picked on a lot for being a little hillbilly kid and all that, you know. And, you know, I mean. And so, 
how would you describe growing up as a kid in Florida? I mean, what what kind of life did you lead? I was I was really outgoing, you know, on my bicycle. I was always running the neighborhood, you know. You know, back then it wasn't like it is today. People keeping their kids all cooped up and everything, you know, stuck on video games. I was outside all the time. So I found a lot of trouble to get into, you know, because my parents were always partying and that works. So I could, I mean, I could pretty much do whatever I wanted. So a lot of my friends would come to my house and everything and we'd run around in the woods, you know, start fires, all that crazy crap. And where in Florida were you all? In D-Land, Florida. It's uh, Volusia County, about 15 minutes from Daytona Daytona Beach. Uh, My wife uh, and I recently went to uh, Flagler Beach, which I think is just up the coast a bit. Yeah. 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 Flagler's really nice. Yeah. That's one of our fishing holes up there in Flagler going fishing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great place. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, when you started getting into trouble with the law? Really young, about 13, 14 years old. I think I got caught stealing something, you know, with a little girlfriend of mine. I was trying to be cool and all that, but it kind of slapped me on the wrist, you know, let me go with that because my parents were down there. And after that, it was, uh, it was stealing, uh, stealing bicycles and shit like that. You know, I was doing stupid stuff. I don't know. My dad was kind of, my dad was kind of weird about, you know, punishments and everything. So I, I kind of rebelled. Plus, I was, uh, you know, into smoking a lot of marijuana. When I got turned about 15, 16, I started smoking a lot of marijuana. Um, so, you know, and then I met girls and everything. So it was just like, once I found them girls and all that, it was, I didn't care what my parents said. I was doing, you know, I was sneaking out, riding my bike miles and miles and miles to go meet up with girls, you know, me and my friends and. You know, we stop at stores and uh, steal wine and everything like that and bring it to the girls' houses and get all drunk. And I mean, it was, I mean, I did a lot of stupid stuff that I regret. Yes, sir. <laughs> and, and so um, when did you first get, I know you said you were arrested at 13. But when did you first get arrested and charged as an adult? Oh, my bird when I stole my parents' car and my dad was doing the tough love thing on me and he pressed charges on me. I was 16. I went to court and they were going to give me like a four or six months in a county jail when I was 16. The judge didn't realize I was only 16. So I threatened the judge in the courtroom and told him I'd sue him if he sent me to the county jail. I was only 16 years old. They cuffed me up and brought me into the back and everything. But I was scared. And uh, the officer came back there and let me go. My mom was already walking down the hallway crying. I come running up behind my mom. She's like, 
what are you doing? She thought I done ran, you know, and I said, well, they let me go. And then my dad was really upset about that, but I never got sentenced on that or nothing. But let me think the next time I really, um, maybe it was, I don't, I don't really remember the first time I got How did that, how did that experience when your dad reported you on stealing the car, how did that uh, affect you? I mean, was it like you went through that experience in the courtroom and then you were like back to normal or did it have any effect on you? It affected me because dad was really upset. You know, that was like the first car my parents had actually saved up their money and bought. And I done went in there and took it. But I mean, my dad was on a lot of, you know, he was volumes and all that. And that's what made me do it. I went in his bedroom. I had stole uh, a bunch of pills from him and I had me and my buddies all screwed up on pills, you know, and we're like, Oh, let's go steal your dad's car. Or I was like, my friends didn't even get in the car with me. So, cause my dad had a bad reputation about shooting guns off and stuff like that. So nobody, when I wanted to do stupid stuff around with my dad, it, uh, my friends didn't do it with me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so was, did in in terms of what you and your friends did, what role did you play? Were you the one who came up with the ideas of what you all needed to do or you know, yeah, I pretty much was the leader because, you know, I was taking the, the drugs from my dad. So, you know, I get them all messed up and then I come up with these outlandish ideas and, and they would follow me. So uh, how do you think you came to be that person at, in your teenage years? Was there anything about your upgrowing uh, upbringing that led you to the to be that way? Yes, yes. My dad was kind of, and he wasn't my real father. This is my stepdad, but he raised me since I was three months old. He was a Vietnam vet. They partied a lot. Um, he had a weird way of teaching me stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, you know, like if I got a new BB gun, he's going to take me outside and show me what not to do with it. He would shoot the lights out or you know, shoot stuff with a guy. He's like, this is what you don't do with it. Uh, I don't know. He just, uh, like, he never, like, if you're going to steal something, you do it by yourself. Da, 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 you know, he did the weird, like, I mean, he just, he taught me weird. You know what I mean? And that was one of the re- first reasons why I went down into a, a bicycle shop. I was like 16 or 17, I think. We were all racing BMX bicycles at the time. Um, and he told me, well, if you're ever, you know, you get drunk and tell me all this weird stuff. If you're going to break into something, you go through the roof. So, of course, me and my buddies, we got all stoned one day. And that's what we did. We went down to the swing shop and crawled through the roof and dropped down through the ceiling into the bicycle shop. And uh, stole brand new bicycles right out of the shop that, you know, where we shopped and got all of our bicycle parts for years for bmx racing and i don't know it was just my upbringing had a lot lot to do with the way i acted. yeah by the time i was 16 17 
you know, in high school, every weekend, it was, you know, all of us friends get together with, you know, two or three gallons of liquor, whiskey out in the woods, get drunk. You know, that's just puking, sloppy drunk. And I don't know, that's just what I watched all my life growing up. You know. How was your relationship with your mom and sisters? My sisters love me to death. They still love me to death. My mom loves me to death still, you know. Um, my mom, she still treats, treats me like I'm a little baby. I, I mean, to this day, if I pull up there, it's what you want to eat. You got any dirty laundry, this and that, you know. She's going to make sure all my clothes are washed, feed me, you know. And she still treats me like I'm her, her little baby. I mean, man, after all the tough love me and my dad went through, because granted, the way I grew up was a lot of reasons I got in trouble. But he did teach me right from wrong, too, you know. He, uh, he, but I went to a lot of boys' homes. I went to a couple boys' homes, detention centers, you know, and he, uh, they showed me, he showed me the tough love thing. But by the time I was 21, 22, I kind of mellowed out. And me and my dad became really close, you know, working together and, and all that. And, uh, you know, he was like my best friend, but it was still the, the, the partying was still there. You know, me and dad, we'd get together every weekend and barbecue, play horseshoes, drink cases of beer, you know, whatever. Whatever drug was floating around that weekend, be it pills, cocaine, you know, marijuana was always in there. You know, that's what we do all weekend. And that's half the reason I went through my first divorce, because that's what I'd go do all the time. You know, I'd get paid. I'd hand my wife half my paycheck. And then the other half was going to my mom and dad's and I'm partying all weekend. You know? So what kind of work did you and your dad do together? My, um, I started out roofing when I was young, you know what I mean? Um, so he took me, uh, when Hurricane Andrew hit down in Miami, Florida, down there in Dade County, we had a big old crew that got together. So we're framing, we're doing metal buildings, roofing. I mean, we started out with roofing and then the jobs progressively got bigger. You know, we were down there about a year and a half off and on, you know, we'd go down there for months, come back home for a couple of weeks, go down there for months. So I had learned a lot down there in the construction field, you know, between metal work, uh, roofing, framing. And then I, I really took the frame and I liked the woodwork. So I came back and I got with another guy and he framed and uh, him and this old guy, he built custom homes for this old guy, Steve Birch. And I got with him when I was like uh, 18 and I worked with him for about five years, just me and him. And then he, he taught me a lot, lot in the framing. So I, mean, I started working with him for five or six dollars an hour. And then, you know, I worked with him four or five years and I went back to my dad and them guys. And then, you know, I had a couple of buddies that started their own framing crews. So I just started, you know, I go in circles, like keeping work with everybody. Remodeling yeah. home. It, it sounds like uh, you must have done good work framing and roofing to yeah. do it as long as you did. Yeah. Yeah. I did plumbing for a couple of years. I've done block work. I've done, I've done a lot of different trades, you know, I'm not a master of any of them, but framing is the one I stuck with and, and roofing. I mean, roofing's pretty easy. So. You talked about uh, being married at that time. And so tell me about your wife then. 
where how did y'all meet and and what was it like being there my sister's friend best friend in high school or one of her best friends and and she was a bail bondsman so it was like a win-win for me (laughs) (laughs) i thought anyways you know i'd get in trouble and she'd get me out of jail well that only lasted about a couple years and then it flipped the script on me she'd throw me in jail (laughs) (laughs) i mean mean, i'd be sitting on that sitting at the house and she'd send her bounty hunters in and they'd come arrest me and take me to jail i'd be like oh god (laughs) yeah i was uh we had a uh, love-hate relationship for 13 years. So, so did you all have children? Yes, sir. Um, I have, I, when I got with her, she had a daughter already that was, like, how old was Kat? Two years old? Three years old? Yes, she was like three or four years old. So but I ended up raising her for, you know, 13 years. So she calls me daddy. So that's like my, my daughter. And then I have my... So he's what twenty now? Yeah, she just turned. 20. My other daughter just turned twenty with her, and then Jacob. Jacob's with a my a first son's with another with my high school girlfriend. So, but yeah, I got two kids, two daughters with her, and maybe a third one. We ain't figured that out yet. Yeah. I mean, I cl- I signed a birth certificate, but that, that that when we were going through all that, that cut that uh, caused a divorce to start getting a little rough because. She had uh right when we were going getting separated, she uh she moved another guy and I knew that from her work at the bounty hunter and ended up marrying him within the first year and started telling me it was his kid. So and then that's where it started getting a little, you know, I was that's why I was like when Aaron offered me to come to Texas, I left. I was just like, cause I was looking at going to prison there if I hung out any longer, you know what I mean? Yeah. I I couldn't drive by my house when I wanted to drive my truck through it, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> you've got her daughter, you have children of your own. It seems to me you were awfully busy going down to Dade County, working, doing all the framing you did, and then getting together with your friends and your father on the weekend. And he had kids. It just seems to me like that's like burning the candle at both ends. How did you do all that? Well, you know what? When when I was in Dade County, that was with my my high school girlfriend. So we hadn't even even had no children yet when that that, that was going on. When I got with April, I was doing... uh, I think I was framing. I was framing then, but I would when I go when she dropped me off at my parents' house on the weekend. I'd take my daughter with me. You know what I mean? Because I'd have my baby sister there and my mom. So Chloe would just hang out, jam out, listen to music, and you know they they'd hook her up, and she'd either hang out with my baby sister or my mom would be taking care. So, yeah, so that worked out uh, good. That was part of the, uh, yeah, like Aaron says, April would enable it, but that, that, but she was, you know, if I wanted to go over there, I had to take my daughter. Yeah. In the meantime, I don't know what she's doing. I never even thought about that part. <laughs> you know what I mean? Come to find out, she's probably just, you know, she's, 
She's evil, so I thought so anyway. <laughs> so you brought up Aaron. Yeah. When and how did the two of you meet? We met through my ex-wife. That was uh, April and Aaron used to be uh, pretty good friends back in the day. Aaron never really even liked me when we when she first you know, met. Despised. Despised. <laughs> this is my Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and and so she didn't like me because yeah, I why? had a bad attitude. Because I had a she she kind of Aaron's a pretty good judge of character, so she kind of picked me off, you know, like you know, knowing, knowing what kind of person I was, you know, and but I don't know how now it's like I don't know, I, don't know. I changed, I guess. <laughs> well, how did you all connect, and why did you decide to make the move from Florida to Texas? Well, me and April, I had seen Erin on Facebook. She had just come back from a deployment overseas. So, I mean, I was like, hey, what's up? You know, I mean, let's go out and have a drink or something. And I don't know why she even said yes. And she despised me so much. Oh, whatever. She said she felt sorry for me. So <laughs> it's been about two years since and my ex-wife split up. So Aaron comes over. We pick, we pick up. She picks me up. We go to... Uh, but wait, we go play putt putt golf or something like that. You know, first we went to that oh yeah, we went to Dolly's, a little bar that my uh, a neighborhood friend's sister opened up a little bar, so I took her to the local bar to play darts and. Oh. Uh, that was the first time. Oh, she said I drank a coke. I didn't drink a beer, so she thought I changed. I guess. You've never seen me not drink a beer. <laughs> so, so what were you thinking when you all are out for the first time oh we were at first it was just i was it was just a friend thing i was just like oh well and then then it started i don't know she came back again and again and again and then we started talking and then, uh, yeah, I was like, and I started talking to my mom about it. And I was like, well, Aaron said I could go back to Texas with her. She's got people there to put me to work. And my mom's looking at it because my mom, I've never been away from my mother either. I've always been around for my mom, you know. And I was like, mom, I was like, you know, I was living with my mother. So I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I don't have nothing here, really anything anyways, but you and I said what I'm going through with my kids and my ex-wife I said I'm just going to end up back in prison again go figure I ended up in prison here but I mean so I left so when you get to Texas uh, what did you do to make ends meet me? yeah I went out and started uh, first I I just started mowing the yards and stuff in the neighborhood. I got a lawnmower and weed eater and I just started, you know, going around mowing yards. I, she got me, a, I got a truck. So, and then with her being in the national guard, you know, the recruiter, I got to meet a lot of people. And then she had me uh, doing the volunteer work for home depot. So I really got into that. I really liked that. 
I liked helping older people, you know, building the wheelchair ramps and, uh, you know, you go to their houses if y'all overgrowed or whatever and, you know, go clean up their yards. And, you know, I, I, I dug that every weekend for a while. Plus, I got a lot of free tools out of it. And then to one of her friends at the National Guard, her friend's boyfriend, that's how I ended up meeting my boss now. And I was, I've worked with him ever since. He hired me. I went and started, went and framed a house with him. After two days of me framing, the whole rest of his crew quit. And it was just me and him. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So he had four guys when I started. And about two weeks later, it was just me and him. So, so it's been like that ever since. You, you go from this life in Florida that sounds like you're partying and having a good time quite a bit. And then you meet Erin and she's a recruiter in the National Guard and you're drinking Coca-Cola. Yeah. When he came to Texas, <laughs> what was life like on the weekends? What did you what did oh, you do? Well, we uh we had to grill, you know, we had yeah, 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 we had no children either, so. You know, we got, I got me a grill. We had the deck, you know. I'd, I'd have a couple few beers. She likes to drink her wine, you know. We'd, we'd hang out and have fun. And it was so, different for me. And so, how did that different feel to you? Felt good. And then, of course, you know, me being me, I started screwing up again. That's like everything else. And so... <laughs> get comfortable and then I find something else and then something else. I don't know. What looking, looking back on it, is there anything that you, you think led you to screw up, as you say? It's just, I don't know, it's, it's like, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but I would get, I like, I, I'm one of them, I come home, I get paid, and it's like, when I get alone, I got these weird things that like, screw up, like, I got to try to get away with something, I don't know, it seems like, okay, I can go do this real quick without nobody knowing, or I can do this real quick, and that's when I, you know, I go get high, and if I start getting high, I don't care what anybody thinks, you know what I mean, I, I don't care what she's going to say to me. I don't care about getting in trouble. I don't care about my mind's on one track. I'm getting high. And then when I'm done, I'll deal with it all real bad attitude, you know? And, and then I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm doing, I'm not having a bad attitude, but come to find out I have a real bad attitude. How old were you when you moved to Texas? How long have we been here? About seven years? Eight, eight years? It was 2014. 2014, she says. So, so about eight years. years. Yeah, four years old. Yeah. And so when was the first time you had uh, trouble and got arrested in Texas? I got a DUI. 
the first house I framed with my boss, the guy that uh, I framed it for was like the head guy at the hardware store. So him and his wife, whenever we got done framing, came over to me on the side, gave me their phone number and said, if you're not ever doing anything and you need some work, just come out here. You can work on the farm with us. So like every place I ever worked with my boss, this is how these people, they'd always come up to me after and I'd get their phone numbers and I could always, I always had side work if I didn't have work with my boss. So I go out there and of course this guy, this old boy, he's, he's an alcoholic. He drinks from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to sleep. So I was out there working and I started drinking with him at about noon. You know, I wouldn't, I can't drink at seven o'clock in the morning like they do. Oh. And then, well, you were pregnant? Yeah, remember that was when you went to tell him that I was pregnant. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Hanging out day, celebrating. Yeah, I guess I was telling Chris that uh, I was having a baby and with Aaron and everything. And then, so we started partying and they, they did. They told me to stay there and, you know, eat dinner, you know, chill out. We'll call your wife. We'll, you know, you can go home in the morning. We'll, and I was like, you know, I'm hard headed. Hell no, I'm going home tonight. So I was, I made it all the way home three blocks from the house and I got pulled over and I got a DUI. They took me to the hospital, took my blood. Come to find out, you know, I had cocaine, marijuana, alcohol. The alcohol was 0 0.07. I mean, if I would have just had that in my system, I probably could have beat it. But I had all the other stuff in my system. So when I went in front of the state attorney, they tried to offer me two years probation or 30 days in the county jail. So I was like, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. I'm going to go ahead and just do the 30 days. And I got out in 11 days, I think. On it, I did 11 days on that charge. So, and that was the first time, and then the second time that I went to prison. The second time was it in 2018? Yeah, or 17, 17 or 18, right? Yeah, yeah, that was at the fireworks show. And so, what happened there? Well, I we left here. I had my daughter from Florida. We had our son in the back, pulled down to the firework place. Um, I asked the police how to get down in there to park by the lake. And he told me to pull up over to the side. And then they raided my truck and said they smelled, uh, they smelled marijuana. Well, and there was no marijuana. Babe, do you want to do the interview? No. She's got she's got her own story. <laughs> she was uh, she was tipsy that day, so she was uh, she was giving the cops a hard time too. So because they really didn't have no reason to search search my vehicle, but and then when they did, they found the the stuff behind the back seat. You know, my daughter was sitting practically sitting on it on top of the cooler. And uh, of course, we everybody denied it, and then they said, "Well, nobody claims it. They take everybody to jail and vehicle." So, and so, what did they charge you with out of that? They uh, what was it? Possession. Possession over drink. 
Yeah, felony possession over a gram. And so, um, did and you... they were acting like they done the way the police were acting. They acted like they done found damn half ounce in there or something. Ounces. Yeah, they were trying to take my uh, repo, my truck, and everything. Wow. I mean, so, they impounded it to where I couldn't even get it back for a month. Yeah. So did you end up taking a plea or did you uh, fight the charges? Well, I took a plea because in the end, I knew I had a bad record. And uh, I knew they wanted, they were going to try to, they're going to get a conviction out of it. And then I didn't want Aaron. You know what I mean? They charged her with it too. And uh, Smith County, their first offer to Aaron was 10 years probation. She's never been in trouble in her life. You know what I mean? And I was just like, well, there's only one way to fix this. And I'll just, I'll take the charge and uh, get it dropped off you. Because even if she got the charge, it would have ruined her military career. So I had to, had to do something. Yeah. And so you, you take the charge and is Aaron pregnant at that time or has she given birth by then? All right. We already had the baby by then. Yeah. He was two years old then. Okay. Yeah. And so how did it feel to take that charge and know you were going to prison? Well, it felt bad because, I mean, we were on pretrial release for a year and a half. And I've been going down there and peeing every, every week for a year and a half. You know what I mean? And then, and then you get into the courtroom and they didn't, even, they didn't even take none of that into consideration. It was just like, it was just like the, you know, you're almost two years later, you're finally bringing me in on this charge and you're, you don't even see how much I've already changed or nothing or. You know what I mean? How I'm looking at stuff different. But I knew they were going to treat me like that because I've already been to prison once. Yeah, and Smith County is is pretty bad. So, And so what about you changed in that year and a half? Oh, I just, uh, I quit. I quit doing all the bullshit and I just started going to work here. And practically she moved us out of our house all the way to where she worked in Marshall. You know what I mean? We stayed in one of her boss's little apartments for a year. She got me away from everybody around here that I knew and everything. So. And how was that change for you? It was, uh, it opened my eyes up like, damn, she's really serious about this. (laughs) You know, she's, uh, I mean, she stuck by me way better, way better than most people would. I know that because I guess I don't, my ex-wife would have just, I don't know, she'd have locked my keys. She'd have locked me out of the house and, and throwed all my clothes outside and, and all that shit. You know what I mean? Aaron's a little different. She, uh, I thought she's pretty serious. Like I believe her when she tells me if I fuck up, that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? When she yeah. looks at me and tells me, you know, if, if this is what you're going to do, then I'm not playing with you. I'm going to leave. You know what I mean? I'm not playing this game. So I, I, I guess I respect her. 
Yeah. And so did you all have conversations uh, about how she would live while you served your sentence? Well, we were very fortunate there because she got deployed for the COVID. So she was gone. So it kind of worked out and she wasn't sitting home, you know, dwelling on it. You know what I mean? Like, yo, he's not home. You know, she's not sleeping in a bed without me. She's not, you know what I mean? She was, even if I was here, she would have been gone. So, and she's still doing it right now. So I got to deal with her leaving right now for three, four days a week. So me and the boy are sitting here and I get him ready for school every morning. And, and if I got work, I go to work and I'm back here by three o'clock to get him for the school bus. And so, yeah, we were fortunate in that way because she would just, she just wasn't home. It probably would have, it probably would have took more of a toll on her if she would have been here, you know, every day. Yeah. I'm sure. But then we had hoodlums living in our house, you know, tearing everything up. So when you get to TDCJ, uh, tell me what it was like um, getting in there. Well, the county jail, Smith County Jail is pretty, pretty raunchy. So I had to wait there five months. But I finally caught Shane. I went there. I mean, truthfully, it wasn't as bad as Florida. The stay was worse than Florida, but uh, the going in wasn't as bad as Florida. Florida's a little more ruthless on you. But I mean, hey, I don't want to tell everybody about my butt. She's like the medical treatment about my surgery and all that, but I'm like, I'm trying to keep away from all that. Yeah. But, so yeah, how was it more uh, ruthless in Florida? Because Florida, when you got off the bus, they stripped you down right there in the parking lot. You know what I mean? It wasn't no, they had a little chain link fence. You got butt naked and yours like this with your penis through the dang chain link fence. They come around and here they walk you through a little thing, you know what I mean? But I guess there's new laws now for the uh, the PREA Act and all that. So back when I first went to prison, none of that existed. You know what I mean? Now you have to be, you're not, you're, you're so far away from the other inmate. Before when I, when I was, it was nuts and butts, you know what I mean? You had to be lying right up to the other guy running through there and now everybody, you know, Corona, COVID was all spaced out. Um, they're not, you know, they got shades up everywhere where you're standing naked and stuff like that. You didn't have that when I first, when I first went to prison. All right, when I got to Garza, we were uh, quarantined for two weeks in the same dorm. After that, we got moved to open dorms. And then when I got moved in that open dorm, it was really, uh, you know, down down there in Beeville, you had all the uh, the Latinos and the Mexicans, and it was really gang affiliated. You couldn't even uh, you couldn't even go sit down at a table without asking. Um, you had the blacks and the and the Mexicans, and the whites pretty much didn't have nothing. So if you uh, 
you didn't ask permission or nothing like that or get in with, with the guys, you know what I mean? You couldn't even pretty much leave your bunk. Well, I didn't care anywhere because that was me. I just stayed on my bunk, read books. I bought a chessboard, and that was how I got, got in with the guys, you know what I mean? That's how I ended up mingling with the people in the dorm. I sit down and play chess with the older guys, you know, and, and then, of course, they, they respected the older, the older fellas a little bit, but you still had to, you know, watch. There was boundaries, you know what I mean? But then when I got, I was only there for two or three weeks, and then that's when I went to Pam Lynchner. And then Pam Lynchner was way more of a, a kiddie camp there because everybody's trying to get out on parole. So, I mean, yeah, there was a little bit of, you know, there was fights here and there, but there was, for, for most part, everybody in there was trying to do the right thing. You know what I mean? They're trying to go home. So, so how did you get yourself oriented in Garza and get to know what you could and couldn't do? Oh, I just, I'm pretty observant. You know, I sit there and, and watch. Uh, I mean, you got your bunkie, you know what I mean? You got the guys that you're sleeping around. So, you you know, you get with them, you, you know, you, for, the, the way I would get in was books. Of course, you start asking about what you got to read and this and that. And then, you know, they start asking where you're from. And then, of course, don't get me wrong, when we went to Garza, um, Smith County went to Garza. It was two busloads of us that left Smith County. So I still had in my dorm, I still had four or five guys that came from Smith County with me in there. You know what I mean? So I had, you know, I had, you know, I had a couple of colored buddies, you know, you know, and a couple of white friends or whatever. So, you know, I mean, we do, you know, everybody does kind of look out for each other in that way. You know, uh, we sit down and eat or whatever. We all got together. We eat every night. So everybody in the dorm would see who's, you know, who's hanging out. And then, and then, I mean, it's, it's basically, it's all respect. I mean, it's, uh, you just respect everybody there and that's it. No problems, really. Did you read much before you got to prison? No, I'm not a big reader, but I read a lot in there. Yes, and it kept me. It kept me. Uh, it kept me uh, sane. I guess you would say. Did you work? Yes, I worked in the kitchen. I was a faithful worker in there. Um, I, I'd go every day. I'd go days I wasn't even supposed to go, just to get out of the dorm. You know what I mean? Uh, to me, any any time not in the dorm was time well spent. I'm working. I'm keeping my mind occupied. You know. I got in good with the kitchen bosses. It got to the point to where, I mean, I could go in there and cook my own food if I wanted to, you know, I didn't have to eat all the other crap. I could get eggs. I could get, you know, decent food and stuff like that. So, And so and it was because I was a good worker. So what can you describe the dorms? Very hot. <laughs> <laughs> very, very hot. Like Garza West was the hottest place I you couldn't sleep or it, it, when you get that one cool night, you could finally sleep. I mean, you're laying there in your bunk and you're literally just sweating all day long. And I mean, there's what was it? There's like 60 guys in one dorm. 
you got four toilets, four showers. Dars and West, you had two toilets and two showers. All the other shit was broke. I mean, they had fans and everything, but it's just, I mean, it's just blowing hot air in circles. And it was this. That's that's the part that was worse than Florida to me. Florida had air conditioning. Texas, they don't they don't give a dang. They, you're sweating. You're hurting in summertime here. Really bad. People are passing out, dehydrated, walking down the bowling alley, going to going to chow. People are just falling out on the ground. Yeah. So. What exactly did you do in the kitchen? I was first. I was on the line. They uh, serving, serving food on the line. I did that for about three or four months. You know, I, I pretty much ended up running my own line over there because you know, after being there for so long, I was the guy that had to train the new people that come in because they flip a lot. And then I was like, then I got into, uh, I got to. Do the K card, K building. K buildings where all the lockdown guys are, and uh, people that are going home. And then you actually bring food. You know, you load up all the food on your own hot box, your own cart, and you, you push it down there. And I got into there, and that way I was working in the air condition for about three hours a day. So I got lucky and did that. I was doing that for about the last four months. I was there. So did you? Did you have any opportunity to take any classes while you were there? Oh, yeah, I, I took construction fundamentals. I was taking C-Tech. I, I tried to get into all that stuff there, too. I mean, construction fundamentals ended up stretching out for me for about four months through the holidays and everything. And I got that certificate, got my OSHA certificate. Um, and then I was in C-Tech, but I ended up getting locked down for the COVID through most of that. So. That ruined it. I, that was the class I really wanted. I really wanted to learn the fiber optics and, you know, and the hard, you know, copper wiring. I got to do telephones and all that. I got one certificate out of them. I think there's four certificates all together. But of course, I was right when they signed me up. I was already looking. I was with you guys, and I was pretty pretty sure I was going to make parole. So I was telling them that. But they were like, well, we'll keep you on the list. I was like, well, I don't want to say no to the class in case I don't make parole. She goes, well, we'll just keep you on the list. And then sure enough, two weeks later, you guys tell me I made parole and they started my class. So it was like, it was crazy. And so what class did you take before you were released? That was um, telecoms. It's all about telephones and how they work and all that cell phones and all that. It's pretty interesting. You get to uh, wire, you know, they have little switchboards and all that. You get to wire stuff and learn how to do coax and all that uh, cables. And uh, it was cool. It was cool. So were you able to communicate with Aaron while you were in? Oh yeah. Yeah. I called my wife every day. And so how does, how do the phone calls work? Oh, that was another thing. If you were in a bad dorm, that was one of the things you got to fight over was them phones. So me, you know, if I was fortunate that I could call her at a certain time every day and I would just get up in the morning 
before everybody else get up because you know we're in prison. The guys, most of the guys ain't even getting up in the morning. You get about 10 guys that might get up in the morning out of 60. So get up in the morning, eat my breakfast, you know what I mean, read my Bible. Um, and then I'd call my wife every morning. Sometimes twice, but sometimes in the in the evening it was hard. Because you got everybody up, and then there's a phone line, and then, or you know, that one, there's only two phones for 60 people. So that one phone line you'll be in about an hour and a half later, they'll be split up into two phone lines. Then you got two people coming up there trying to get on that phone at the same time, and it just starts problems. So they try to make a phone list, and people start scratching each other's names off of it. It's just it's not even worth it. I just, you know, I'm like, I just get up in the morning, make my little, you know, 30 minute phone call and be done with it. Did you, I called her every day. So it wasn't like there was a whole lot. I was missing out on it. Yeah. And so when you all are talking daily, what are you talking about? She's always talking about money and financial stuff and what she got paid off and this and that. Her orders get and extended and i mean i don't have much to talk about i'm doing the same crap every day so it was just I, I'm, I like to hear voice i call my mother you know to about once every two weeks um i call my boss you know about once every three months and you know i only had them three people on there so but me and her we just talk about she can talk i don't know if you ever met her so <laughs> if you <laughs> she can uh you give her one little subject you're pretty good to go for about 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> so um did you have was anybody putting money on your books while you were in yes my wife took very well care of me and she thought i was needing it and I, i'd tell her i didn't need it and she'd keep putting it on there when uh when i got released i had a 1200 check she's like honey I said, well, I told you I didn't need all that money. You just kept bringing, sending it to me because, you know, I'd only spend a certain amount because the lockers are only this big. You get to spend $95 every two weeks. I mean, you can't even fit it all in a locker. So, I mean, I go down and spend 40, 50 bucks. I just kept letting it build up. And so, so what would you spend 40 or 50 bucks on? I just get a lot of tuna fish, crackers. I was trying to eat the healthier stuff, you know, the peanuts, almonds. But the stuff I was eating was the more expensive stuff, you know, I mean, the ramen noodles, you know, I get my coffee, you know, some cookies or whatever. It wasn't, before you know it, it's spent. It don't take much in there because, I mean, one little ramen noodle is like 90 cents. So, 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 this is commissary you're talking about, right? And so can you describe what that is like at Linkner? At Pam Linkner? Yeah. Well, we're supposed to be able to go every two weeks. There, it was more like every three weeks. So you're supposed to be able to spend, I think it, it was uh, $100 or $95 every two weeks. So you're supposed to be able to get that in in two months. Well, Pam Lynchner, that didn't happen. So that's why a lot of people did 
spend almost all their money, you know what I mean, and not have it in their box. But then they, when they come around to do a, a cell inspection or whatever, if your food's not in your locker, they can take it or improper storage. So that would happen with a lot of these guys. And I'd be like, oh, my God. So I, I didn't want to go through that. So I'd have everything. I mean, my locker was full, but I'd keep it packed in there. And I would never eat. I had so much food in there. I just. By the way, when it was time to go to the store, a few days before to go to the store, I'd start sharing with the poor guys that didn't have enough. And I was one of those guys. When I ordered, I'd go around and uh, about $10 or $15 of my order, I would go pass around to the fellas that didn't have no food or, you know, didn't get nothing. So what was the store like and, and where was it in relation to the dorm? Okay, you have to go out to the bowling alley. It was lined up on the bowling alley. They call them. You come out of the dorms and the bowling alley is the long stretch in between all the dorms. Then you get the chow halls and then you had two commissary windows and they lined up. And of course, with COVID now, it made everything run a lot slower because they would only send out, you know, like 18 guys at a time. And we all had to be six feet apart, lined up out there. So. Uh, it made commissary run a lot slower. And then the stuff like ice cream was a big thing. That was the only time you could get your ice cream, you know, it was every three weeks. So, so I give, I didn't order none of that for like a year and a half. I didn't order no sodas, no ice cream. I was staying away from, I didn't order no chips, no cookies. Cause I was trying to get all fit and everything. And then I hurt my back about the last four months in there working out and started eating ice cream, started eating good. <laughs> laid up, you know, I felt bad. I was mad because I couldn't work out and started doing all them burpees. And, you know, I was getting in shape really good, but then I started pushing myself too hard. I forgetting I'm not 20, you know, you know no more. And I've been in a lot of car accidents. So my back's pretty messed up. And so with your parole eligibility, did you, did you ever pick up any minor or major cases? I got one case in there for not wearing my mask. And that was like when I first got the Pam Lynch thing. Other than that, I never got rode up. And then, you know, I've watched people get right at written up up in the kitchen left and right and i'm just like i'm like it's really not that hard <laughs> i mean so, you guys just do what these people say and you're fine so that that would be your advice to anybody facing this is it's as simple as do what you're told and and stay between the lines so to speak yeah yeah i mean when you get in there you're going to see, you're going to, I mean, you're going to be able to tell which officers that kind of stay away from doing, you know what I mean? And which ones there's always, always the mad, the bad one, but even the bad one after time, if they see that you're a good worker and you know, you do what you're told, you're not stealing and all that stuff. They're going to be just like the other officers because there was one in there, Miss Bryant. I mean, nobody liked the lady. Everybody hated her. She'd always write you up. She wouldn't let you do nothing. 
But you know what? She started, she was the one that started going to K building with me. And it took me months just for her, for that lady to ever say goodbye to me in the evening or anything. But I just kept, you know, I just did my thing. And then she started going to K building with me because she's one of the sergeants. And, and when she get down there, she was a totally different lady. Totally different than when she was in the kitchen. But when she was in that kitchen, she had a job to do. So you can't, you got to respect the people. They have a job to do. You know what I mean? They got to keep order and you got to, you know, you got 50 inmates in there. Half of 30 of them are trying to steal something. You know what I mean? Of course, she's going to have a little attitude. You know, 30 of them are stealing something. The other 10 are running around trying to eat shit they're not supposed to. So it's just like, I mean, if you watch everything, it's it's like a big soap opera in there. So I just kept my head on straight. I was I was trying to make parole. So yeah. And so with parole, do you remember meeting with an institutional parole officer? I never, I never I met the one guy and uh like a parole officer officer for out here? No. Um, were you interviewed by anybody inside? He, I called in to Pam Lindstrom about, I mean, Tay, Tay pretty much told me everything was going to happen before it happened. So, and he was, he was, he was right on point with it. And uh, so it was like, I mean, everything that Tay I already knew before they even told me. So, I get called in there and I was like, okay, whatever. I already knew this. So did, um, did talking to Tate help kind of get you prepared for that? Oh man. He made my life a lot, a lot easier. Ed. I appreciate the way that man, he always kept me boosted, you know, like he's a really good guy. I like talking to him every week. Um, yeah, he kept me, he kept me motivated. He just like, you know, just wait. It's just going to be a, a time thing, but he goes, I'm glad you're doing the right thing. He, yeah, he, he kept me motivated. And uh, I like that, you know, Aaron called, you guys were always on it. And I, it, it, you guys are awesome. Like, yeah. Well, I can just tell you that Tate thinks the world of you and really enjoyed getting to know you and Aaron. Right. I like Tate, yes, sir. So, what did it feel like when you found out you'd been granted parole? Oh, it was great. <laughs> I mean, I was like, heck yeah. I went over and told all my buddies, you know, I'm like, man, I'm out of here. But, you know, then, you know, then after that, it seemed like the time was going by so slow. But I mean, because I think it was like three months I had to wait before I got out of there or whatever. And, uh, it was yeah, it was it was great, and then it was just like I couldn't stay off that calendar. Then, yeah, it slowed my time down. I started reading a lot more, and then what? Well, what else slowed it down? It was the, you know being quarantined, so I couldn't go to work or nothing. So, without going to work and going to school, my whole day was you know I wasn't in that dorm, but to go to sleep most of the time. Yeah. So, and then when they when they somebody come up positive for COVID. They lock us down for 30 days. And then if someone tested, you know, a week later positive, it starts all over. 
So, I mean, I was locked down two of the two months of the three before I even got out of there. Wow. So, and they're feeding you bag lunches. They don't, you don't get to eat chow, you know, you're eating peanut butter sandwiches. And, and then when commissary on, on those during quarantine, you're only allowed to order, uh, I think it was $35, $40. You couldn't even order a full order. So that was another reason why a lot of people would have their lockers over stuff because you got put on quarantine, you are going to be able to order everything you wanted. You know what I mean? Mm. So do you remember what it was like when you got released and you walked out of TDCJ? It was, uh, I don't know. It's a weird feeling being free. You know what I mean? And uh, when I seen Aaron and her hair was purple, <laughs> I was like, whoa. But it was, yes, it was a, it was a funny feeling. I mean, I'm getting into a vehicle and it, it felt like I was floating. You know what I mean? It was, it was, a, I could honestly say it was probably a, a high. Almost because it was a funny feeling. I wasn't going to, you know, I couldn't sleep. Uh, used to noise all the time. You know what I mean? And doors clanking and keys and people screaming. And so it, it, it took a minute to get back in the groove. But now it feels like I, I never even went. So I got a great parole officer. I don't even have to go down and see her. She, I get my my parole visits are over the phone. Um, my next house visit ain't till November of this year. So I mean, I've been blessed between you guys and the parole officer and and my wife and everything. I'm, I know there's somebody up there looking out for me. Absolutely. What was it like? getting home and getting back into your life? Well, at first I really wanted to go to work right off the get. Aaron's telling me to chill out and, you know, stay home with my son and, and uh, let me and him get back in tune. You know what I mean? Because in the end, she's going to have to go to work and I'm going to be here with him. It's just going to be me and him. So, and he's kind of, you know, over the last couple of years, he's, he's got a little abandonment issues because mommy's gone, you know, I'm gone. So I stayed home with him, what, a month, a good month. Me and him stayed home and doing daddy and boy stuff. And, and then I went and seen my boss, you know, and seen his new shop and you know, let them know, yeah, whenever you start pulling some more work. So we got a couple big jobs that should be coming up. But, and then, you know, I didn't want Aaron to leave either. <laughs> you know, now, now I'm home. I want to be home with my family. And she's got to leave every Tuesday night and she don't come back till Friday, Friday night. So I'm just like, so it took a minute to get used to that. but. We got it all squared away now. So. Well, I was looking through the letters that you sent to Tate. And one of the pages I found 
has kind of your plans for the week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how has life been compared to your plan? It's not been like I wanted it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, we found a good church. I'm happy for that. We found a good church. Um, My working out has been more of a more of going out to eat at a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Food has uh, changed my life. I've probably gained 25 pounds already. What? She said 40. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm about up to 230 pounds now. I got out, I was probably 190. But I like food. And, uh, but I got stuff in my head that says I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? I got to go back in for surgery again. So it kind of, that kind of depresses me a little bit when I start thinking about that stuff. Cause I, I don't know. I just, when I start doing something, I want to do it and I don't want to be interrupted. You know what I mean? Right. So the surgery is going to set me back another month. Uh, I won't be able to go to work. I won't be able to work out. I'll be laid up in bed again. And so I got that in my back of my mind. So, when that's all over with, I'm like, by the time that month I'm laid up, I'm going to have me a whole nother plan to start and uh, start getting, you know, getting back into my Bible studies more. I'll be laid in bed. Um, soon as she gets back off these orders, that's going to change our life a little bit too, because then we're going to be able to start doing the, uh, start going to church more, build, you know, be able to become full members and, start going on Wednesday nights and stuff to bring my son there. We want him to be more, because he really likes church. You know what I mean? It's just right now without both of us together. Cause he don't like doing nothing without mommy either. So. So how has your Bible study in church affected you? Right now. Yeah, or then it affected me a lot. It helped me a lot. I was doing it a lot. Right now, I haven't. Uh, my I just been going to church and going to work and working here. I mean, we've been remodeling the house, and and I know I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't put God off for nothing, but I need to sit down and uh, get my priorities right. And so, what led you to start? studying the Bible while you were in TDCJ? Well, I was, I was, uh, I was really in the church the last time I went to prison and it really helped. That helped me out a lot when I got out, you know, for like two years, I didn't, I didn't do nothing when I got out of prison the last time. And I know it was because I was in the word and I was going to church every day. Or every couple times a week, and I had you know, I had AA meetings that was a Christian AA thing, so it kept me. And then people kept me on a on the right path. Right now, I know it's what I need, and I don't know. I maybe I'm just lazy. I don't know, but I need to. Uh, I need to get back in it. It's just it, when I talk about it, it bothers me. So. Because I know I should be doing more. I feel like I should be doing more. Well, what hopes and dreams do you and Aaron have for your life as a family and the future? 
But right now, all she wants to do, wants to work me like a slave. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I can't. I got to, uh, we, we're trying to get this house finished remodeled, which is going to probably cost us quite a bit. I mean, in the last couple of years, a lot of stuff's went downhill, you know, so catching up and getting everything back in order just so we can start remodeling. I mean, I done did a couple of rooms. I'm working my way down the hallway. We're fixing to do the master bathroom. Um, we're trying to get all this done. We want to be able to, you know, like once a month, we just want to be able to go on trips, you know. Like my daughter's coming down Fourth of July with her uh, her new man that I haven't met yet, so we're gonna take them to Slitterbaum, um, and then at least once a year, you know, like go to Florida or go out of state somewhere to see the family. We just want to, you know, she's pretty much done really well on getting us out of debt now, so we have no debt. You know, we got we got three cars in the driveway. I mean. We're doing we're doing pretty well. We got money in the bank, you know. So that's terrific. We just want to be able to, and Caden got to be able to do stuff with him. He's wanting to start playing soccer, and so and but I don't know if that's going to have time if we start doing all this church stuff too. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. We got well, a lot of plans. Putting them all in motion is another thing. Yeah. Yeah. I it's think like we're all like graduated. That. Yeah. Everybody has, you got this big old list that sounds good, but seems like only two or three of them get done out of it. Yeah. But that's why I started telling my wife, I was like, yeah, we got so much stuff we want to do. I said, but in the end, we just need to get out there and just do something. Even if it's not a lot. Every every weekend, just we get out there and just do something. So that's what she's doing. She's I, I cleaned her out a garden area this week while she was gone. So now she's planting all her plants. Yeah, that's terrific. They're all over my house. These uh, seeds and plants and everything. You know, the garden's in the house right now. So I had to clear <laughs> some something out out. So she could get them outside. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's terrific. I have really enjoyed talking to you so much about all this. And I appreciate you sharing all that you did about everything you've been through in your life. And and I've just really enjoyed this. I appreciate you, too. Yeah. Glad so I just wish you and Aaron and Caden the very best going forward and um, I just hope that life continues to get better and better for you all it has gotten better I can't I can't say that I've ever been this happy in my whole life so it's, I know it's because I'm heading down the right path outstanding well thanks a lot for talking to me Jake and, and I will uh, be in touch soon all right. I appreciate you, Mr. Ted. Okay. Thanks.